financial stuff, marriage is hard, whatever it is. And we're just going to cry out to the Lord individually that he would move. And the Lord has been faithful in this so much to really wake our church up that God's not dead. He's very much alive. He's told us to Jesus. I thank you that every word of the Bible is true. And over and over again, you say, if my people will pray, if my people will pray. And then you tell us in the New Testament, pray, don't give up. You told stories that we might not lose heart, but that we would pray in all, all things. So Holy Spirit, stir us up to pray in faith right now. Not buckets of faith. We just need like a pinch. So Lord, we ask you, you have the power, you have the knowledge, you have the ability, it's all you. So it's not even if we pray the right things, it's just who we're talking to. And I thank you that you are full of grace and compassion, full of steadfast love, and your mercy endures forever, that you are good in every way, and you love it when your kids talk to you and ask you for stuff. So I just pray that there would be this like breaking moment this morning, God, where we stop trying to fix it ourselves and we actually go to our Father in heaven. So everybody, in your mind, pick the thing you're gonna talk to God about. And you can have a list of them, I don't care. I don't think he's offended. And so I'm gonna keep praying, and I want you, church, to kinda join me, and I'll just keep praying, and they're gonna keep playing so that you maybe can pray a little bit out loud and aggressively. I think there's something about, we join our voices together and go, God, would you move? So church, start praying now. Lord, move. Show off your goodness. Be exalted in our families. Be all over this church. Show up in my kids. So Lord, we cry out for you. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. Thank you that you hear the prayers of your people. That it's like incense rising. So Lord, we honor you here. We stop doing what we're doing. Keep praying, church. Lean in a little bit. Even, I, I don't even care if one of you starts yelling. The blind man on the side of the road started yelling, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they told him to be quiet. Jesus turned to the side and said, what do you want? And then he got his eyesight back. Cry out to Jesus.
two years ago, it was really a simple thing. I felt like the Lord was like, if you get the church to pray, I'll show off my glory. I'll show off wonders, basically, is what he said. He says a very similar thing to Moses. He says things, it just says things to people in the Bible, like, if you'll pray, if you'll humble yourself and cry out to me, I'll move. I think what we can get in our head is that we have to pray the right thing or be the right people or you need the anointed guy that he'll do the praying. But really, everybody in here, if you're in Christ, you have access to the throne room of grace. And you can talk to the Father because of Jesus. So we're going to pray for each other. And I think the temptation is to be like, well, I'm just a guy. Well, I don't see anybody that's not just a guy or a girl in the room. And what I've been learning is actually the moments that I feel the least spiritual and I least qualified is the moments that God shows up the most. It's just what's happened in the last two weeks. Every time someone asks me to pray for them, I'm usually in like, I'm kind of ticked off, I'm a little hangry. And I'm like, sure, I'll pray for you. And I pray and then something crazy happens because I think it honors the Lord when we can't take credit. So if you're in here and you feel weak or I'm about to ask you to pray for your spouse and you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not, great, you're in a perfect position. Who you're talking to is more important about than what you say. Faith in who you're talking to actually moves the mountains, not you. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna pray for one another and we're gonna do it in specific ways. Number one, if you came with a spouse, you are going to lay hands on them and pray for them. Pray the goodness of God on them. If they're struggling with anxiety, you pray that off of them, husbands. If there's good, there's good things, bad things, you bring all of that before God and you run to Jesus together. If you came in separate, I want to challenge you to do one kind of maybe nerve-wracking thing. Find somebody else to pray with. Say, what do you need from the Lord? And pray for them. But very quickly, we're going to do one thing. As a body, and this is, you're going to have to raise your hand. If you came in with a need, and you're like, oh, it's a need, and I, I know I need prayer. And I'm thinking physical healing maybe, maybe like a hip or a back of a knee. Maybe it's financial, and maybe it's marriage. I don't know what it is. I just feel like Jesus always turned to the side and would stop everything for one person. So if you could, can you just bow your head for a second? Because I want to lean into this. And if you're here and you have, I mean, a, a need, and you're just like, I know it's me, I'm here, I want God to show up in my life, but you just have to raise your hand, not even super high or boldly, just, just enough. And then if you're on the prayer team or an elder, can you get to those people? So staff, elders, prayer team, you've been trained by us. If they people have their hands up, pray for them. Jesus, you're good, and I thank you that you use broken, beaten up, um, really actually wounded healers to do your ministry. That nobody in here probably is going to boast that we're qualified to walk in healing or prophetic or anything, but Lord, you're good, and you use us to build your kingdom. So I pray your kingdom would come in power in this room, and that we would take you at your word, that if we pray, you'll move and heal. So husbands, you're going to go first. Pray for your wife. Everybody else, find somebody who you can pray with. If you don't want to, you don't have to. It doesn't make you less spiritual. But go ahead and start praying for one another with expectation that God's going to move. If 
if you don't know how, it's okay. God's not mad at you. If you don't know where to start, just say, what do you need from God? Give me one word. Love, joy, money. Pray that. Jesus, I ask that you would teach us how to pray. And you actually taught, taught your disciples a simple prayer. But Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to trust you more than us. Teach our hearts to make our first response running to you and not trying to fix it and making it worse. So, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, your Son, that you would do exceedingly abundantly more than we even asked or imagined as we prayed. That you would show off your power, your strength, and your goodness in each situation in this room. That you know the hairs on everybody's head, and you have all the resources of heaven, earth, and everywhere to make ways that we can't even see. So, Lord, would you move and heal even right now Physical bodies would be made well in the name of Jesus. 
marriages would be knit back together and things that are off would be made right. I pray things that are in the dark will be brought into the light in the name of Jesus. Not to destroy, but to save. I thank you that you know the heart, the inward leaning, and the deep fears of every person in this room. And you are after them to save them, to be with them, and to just pour love on them. So, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would pour your love out on every heart in this room. Father, pour more. More love and more power. I know last time we prayed, I just felt like there's this moment where the thing about the love of God is you actually have to receive it. And some of you have been batting it away. So if you could just do me a favor, kind of put your hands out in front of you and say, Father, I receive your love. And just sit. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy, which is new every morning. So church, we want to be a praying church, and this is why we do this. But we also want to arm you with this idea that everywhere you go, you can do what we just did. And so husbands, if you want to be a godly husband, you don't have to memorize books of the Bible. You don't have to have some great hype knowledge. You have to do one thing. Babe, come here. We're going to pray. There you go. It's a great starting spot. Kids, teenagers, want to be godly teenagers, godly people? Learn that when you see a situation, pray for it. Start simple. Don't complicate. So we love you. We're thrilled that you're here. Um, and what I'm going to do is try to segue as gently as possible. So if you're still praying, you keep praying. I'd actually rather you talk to God than listen to us. And so I'm going to invite a woman on the stage. Her name's Miranda. And if you could, could you just welcome her just a little bit? She's not going to like the fact that I did this, but yeah. Good morning. My name is Miranda Gomes, and I'm the family ministry director here at Cobblestone. And if you're not aware, family ministry is a new ministry that we've created for parents and their young children. And though the parents are there to serve, they take turns serving once a month, we like them to think of themselves more as participants in the ministry. Because what we have done is we have created a little template that, that will be easy to follow for them at home, that teaches them and supports them in reading the Bible at home and discipling their children at home. Um, so that is happening in second service every second, third, and fourth Sunday now. So if you have young children or you know someone with young children, please encourage them to get involved. Um, we also have, we're aware that it's been going for a little while now and you might have some questions about family ministry. So we're having a question and answer session after second service on December 5th. Um, where you can come and get your questions answered. For instance, you might be asking, why are you reading the actual scriptures to my four-year-old when she's not even paying attention? Why aren't you giving her a picture story of Noah and the ark? So um, I'll just answer that one really quickly. 
Um, I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this before, but in Ephesians 6.1, when Paul writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, he assumed that children were sitting there listening to the scriptures being read because he spoke directly to children. So we know this is very different. It's different from anything you've probably ever seen before, and we want to get all your questions answered. We want to encourage you that this actually works, that God has laid out a plan in the Bible for how we can simply disciple our children within the context of our everyday life. So um, come ask your questions. That's after service on December 5th, after second service. Um, you may be aware that we have been on an, an Old Testament reading plan here as a family, and we are wrapping that up in the next couple of weeks. Starting on December 1st, we have a new Advent reading plan that will take us through December. And you can get a copy of that plan at the welcome desk in the back or on the website. And also, we will be starting a New Testament reading plan on January 3rd, and that will take us through 2022. You can also get that plan at the welcome desk or on the website. Thanks very much, Cobblestone. good? Yeah? All right. Um, so yeah, it is a blessing to be here um, with you all. My name is Tim Moore. I am one of the elders here at Cobblestone. And uh, as you can tell, um, we are, this past week, we've gone through the book of Zechariah. And uh, for those of you that are somewhat knowledge of the Bible, you know we're getting really close to that end of the uh, the Old Testament here. So we wrap that up actually this week. Um, and as Miranda said, this is a great time as we head into the Advent reading plan and then into the New Testament reading plan for, uh, for next year. I want to encourage you to get into that habit. Um, we, we've gone through a pretty um, fairly good pace going through the Old Testament. And uh, we've decided that in the New Testament, we're going to kind of slow down a little bit, give a little bit um, smaller readings for everybody. So I want to encourage you uh, to get into that discipline, uh, to get in the discipline of, of being in the Word um, every day uh, and seeing what the Lord um, has, to, has to share with you. So as we talk this morning about Zechariah, uh, we're going to jump right in. This, um, the book itself is, is 14 chapters. It's broke up over two different um, kind of segments. There's chapter 1 through 8, uh, and those are really Zechariah giving encouragement um, to the, the post-exile Jews that are returning on rebuilding the temple. Uh, and then chapters 9 through 14 um, are a different uh, tone altogether. And, and it really focuses there to offer still encouragement and hope um, for the time after that the temple was being rebuilt and, and pointing to the first and to the second comings of Christ. So um, where we want to put ourselves here to begin with, we're going to jump right in. Um, and that's going to be right in chapter 8, and I want to have you guys, if you can, turn your apps on or, or open the words. We're going to start with 
chapter 8, um, verses 3 through 6. Uh, and again, the tone here that we're going to talk about this morning is, is the encouragement um, that we see Zechariah offering to some very tired and, and, and weary um, Jews that have returned um, from their time in exile. So let's read chapter 8, verses 3 through 6. It says this, Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of the great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. On verse 6, I want to offer another translation. In the NLT, verse 6 reads this. It says, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people, but, it is, but is it impossible for me? says the Lord of heaven's armies. That phrase there in verse 6 is meant to instill confidence to this group of people that are becoming weary in their task of rebuilding the temple. And all that they were facing seemed impossible, and sometimes we can relate to that in our own lives, to that feeling. That they continually had this thought that everything was just seemingly too difficult. And this encouragement comes directly from the Lord that says, is it impossible for me? And we need that reminder as well when we feel that the work we're called to do or the situation that we're facing seems to be too big for us. So I, I want to challenge you to think of, and I think we all can think of times like this, can we think of a time in which we kind of had that mindset that, that we had something that was just too big for us? Maybe we're facing a situation that we just wanted to quit, that we wanted to throw in the towel, that we were just done. We wanted to walk away from it. The situation was hard and you were tired and you felt like you had had enough, that you had taken enough, you had worked hard enough, and you were just ready to say, enough. I'm done. I'm finished with this. It seems that this group of post-exile Jewish people have come to that similar point right here when they're rebuilding the temple. So this, this time frame, to kind of give you a rough idea of the setting that you're looking at here, the rebuilding of the temple began shortly after the return, about 536. And then it halts around 530. And the work isn't completed all the way until 516. So about 20 years here, with a time of period in which there's an actual stop of the work. They started rebuilding shortly upon the return in about six years of hard labor, and it was done with tremendous sacrifice. The work of the temple meant that people would have to leave their own homes and their lives and leave them vulnerable to enemies and go on for weeks and months to work on the temple in Jerusalem. And after years of this kind of sacrifice, it seems that they're starting to say, enough. And so our passage today finds God speaking clearly and directly to a people who may very well have been feeling like quitting. There was uncertainty and fear, which always leads people to a desire to retreat, to run away from, and to protect themselves, and to turn inward and defensive. 
And it makes it really hard to have people step out to a greater call and ask them for deep personal sacrifice. I personally can attest to different times in my life where you just want to quit. You just want to throw in the towel. And as you continue on here, we're going to look still in chapter 8 and transition into verses 7 through 13. And it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Here's a key passage here, beginning in verse 9. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing the words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from foe for him who went out or came in, for I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce. And the heaven shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as, you've been by, and as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I save you. And you will be blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. When they get back to their homeland, they start building this temple, they stop. It's just too difficult for them. But then here comes the voice of God with those, those encouraging words this morning. He comes and he speaks to his people and he says, be strong. Finish the task. Let your hands be strong. We see that encouragement in verse 9 and again in verse 13. It's God saying, I know this is hard. I know your hands are tired from literally lifting boulder by boulder, clearing away rubble, laying stone after stone, rebuilding day after day, sacrificing, wanting to quit, pack it in, go home, give up. He's saying, I understand. And I'm here to encourage you to finish and to stick with it and keep at it. Those are things that he wants us to hear this morning as well. I imagine the people responding as, as I might at that time. Why should we? This is so hard. Why keep at it? So God gives them some reasons and some promises, which I can sum up with these words. He's saying, strengthen your hands because everything that I've given in this promise to bring good. Hold on to my promises. He offers them promises of restoration. He promises to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. He offers the people something very powerful to continue this hard work that they've been called to do. And he offers us the same thing this morning. He sees them growing weary. And he offers them hope. Not only a regular hope, but a confident hope. And hope is a powerful thing. Hope is what we want to focus in on this morning. Hope is what we need to, to continue on when he says, hold on, be strong. Confident hope, lived out, looks differently. There's confidence through the word of God 
then when he says, I'm going to do something different, you have to hold on to that hope. The confident hope that is shown throughout the passage is based solely on the Lord and His ableness, not ours. This is also a different type of hope than most of us are familiar with. We can hear that word often in our culture. But the hope that we kind of hear in our culture is more of a wishful thinking. We approach hope from that type of perspective typically in our culture. In my day in day out life in which I'm a manager in a manufacturing facility, I often hear a phrase when we're talking about how we are to manage our facility. It's not uncommon when we start to analyze things day in and day out that someone will use the words at the end of our whole process analysis, they will say, I hope that this outcome will be the result. So you lay out a plan and then somebody says, I hope that this is going to be the result. And that's typically met with the response that says, hope is not a management technique. And what that means in that environment is that things should be so thoroughly analyzed, so thoroughly controlled, that the outcome becomes predictable and consistent. That's what we're trying to achieve in that type of business world. But that type of hope is a trivialized version of what we're referring to here today. Far too often we think of this hope as just a blind desire wishing for something to come true. And that's what we're referring to when we say hope is not a management technique. We're saying that if you manage the process well, you're not just wishing for the outcome. And we treat our faith this way sometimes too. We treat our faith as if it's, we want things to be predictable and consistent and if we do certain inputs, certain outputs are gonna come. That's how we treat our faith. We use hope in other situations. You hear people say, I hope that I win a million dollars. I hope that I have Taco Bell for lunch. I hope I get a nap today. It's a great nap day. It's raining out. That type of hope is not the biblical idea of hope that we're talking about. Rather, it's actually the exact opposite. Hope is the confident expectation that what God has promised surely will come to pass. We sang a song this morning in which we referred to, you know, an anchor to our soul. That passage is one that I want to share with you this morning. It's Hebrews 10, 23. This is the hope that we're talking about. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What is our hope? It says that we are to hold on to the hope that we confess. To confess is to say something. So God tells us to have hope, to confess it, and actually literally say, yes, I have hope. I have hope in you. As Christians, hope is something that we are to have. But what is hope? Is it wishful thinking? Quite the contrary. It's a sure thing. It's not a wishful thing. Having hope means that we live today like we are confidently assured that everything God has promised us will come to pass. 
That's having a confident hope. When we have hope in God, the things of this world become bearable. Not necessarily predictable, but bearable. When we, hope, when we have hope, we can see that God is going to do the things that He has in store for us. His promises. The Word is full of His promises. Does this mean that we don't get discouraged? No. We're going to get discouraged. But what it does mean is that we will not stay discouraged. We will be able to rise above it. When the trials of life come and we can turn to God and trust that He's in control, that's hope. And it changes your disposition. It changes the way you think, the way you feel. And your disposition becomes a joyous one. Romans 15, 13 reads, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that abounds in hope, that doesn't get brought down into the hopelessness that we can feel in this world. We as Christians are called to abound in hope. And we're able to have such large amount of hope because of who He is, who our Father is. It's rooted in the character of God and our submission to it. You see, hope is always linked to faith. A true hope and real faith are always rooted in God. Hope, living, breathing hope, biblical hope is always grounded in God. His ways, His promises, and trusting God and His ways and promises despite any circumstance that we're in. You see, many of us walk this fine line that kind of tips into losing hope. Circumstances, losses, failures, suffering, it can lead us to hopelessness. And that is just the exact opposite of the life we're supposed to have in Christ. We're not supposed to be hopeless, but abound in hope. Hebrews 11.1, 1, as you continue on in that book, it tells us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11 is filled with examples of Old Testament saints who believed that God would keep His Word. They had hope. They counted it. Example after example of those who had faith that God would do what He said. That's hope. But it doesn't always look the way that we want it to look. If you continue on in Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 38, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samson, or Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. 
They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You see that change there where everything, there's good things that happened. And of course, when the good things happen, there's hope. But there's also things that didn't go the way they wanted. And even when God doesn't work the way that we want, we still need to keep our faith and our hope in Him. Some were tortured, refused release, suffered mocking, flogging. You see all those beginning in verse 35 and on. There's, there's some bad things that happen to those. But yet they kept their hope in the promises. Many times in our life in Christ, if God gives us what we ask for, we worship Him. It's easy to have hope then. But if He doesn't come through, then we turn from Him. We give our worship to whatever and whoever gives us the most. I talked last time, a few weeks ago, about the peace that Daniel had in his life. And this hope brings about that peace. It's a peace that, that passeth all understanding. When we have hope, when we have eternal hope, knowing that this world is not our end. When it's all said and done, we have a home in glory and a life that is beyond what this world can tell. John 14, 2 says Jesus said he was going to prepare a place. We have that hope. That's our hope. We hold on to that despite anything that happens to us on this side of eternity. And we need to hold unwaveringly to the hope that we profess. Why can we hope? Because God is faithful and he can be trusted on fully. When we end up denying hope, when we end up on the hopeless side of things, we're actually denying by our actions the faithfulness and power of God. Faith is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of feeling. Faith is holding on to that anchor. I want to read to you a scripture that illustrates that in, in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 18. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Despite what we're experiencing, what our surroundings are, if we're tired, if it's been a long process, if, we're, if we've just already given up like they did on rebuilding the temple, we should not give up on our hope in Christ. That's why Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Our hope is to be unswerving. It's not to be inclined. It's not to go right, not to go left. It is to hold, hold steady on a straight path. And many times that's going to have high points and low points. We believe faithfully for a while and then we turn into periods of doubt and despair but we are to hope with full assurance of faith. Our hope is found in God, who is in complete control. Allow God to instill that kind of hope in your life. Ask God for that hope. And when we find that our faith is tested, God wants 
to bring us into hope. How do we do that? Through remembering. We see that in Zechariah. He's telling them to remember the way things used to be. And then you can see the difference into the way things are now. We look at how God's worked in the past and that brings us hope. We also find hope in his word. Meditate on his promises over and over again. God instills hope through his word. But we don't find hope when, quite honestly, we're just kind of reading you know, a verse or two, check the box kind of deal. No, I'm, I'm saying get into the word. Let the word speak to you, pour over you. It's not a matter of the exact amount of time you spend in the word, it's but to allow the word to speak to you and spend time in it. The word of God will instill hope in us. So I'm wondering today, how many of us in this room are feeling that we're just in that hopeless cycle? That we're kind of wavering in between, I, I know that I should have hope, but I'm actually feeling really hopeless about this situation. Are you losing hope? Have you lost hope? If your hope is something, if your hope is in something or someone that is earthly, or on life circumstances instead of eternal and outside life circumstances, then you will be suffering when it comes to losing your hope. Many of us, even Christians, we put our hope in things such as our kids, our marriage, relationships, career, health, achievements, fill in the blank, money, security. What are the things that you put your hope in? But the thing is, the longer you live, you will see that most of those get stripped away. And so if you put your hope in those, you will end up without hope or hopeless. You'll become angry and you'll just want to give up. You'll search for something to replace your hope and it becomes that cycle. You search for other things to find hope in. If your hope today is in the resurrected Jesus, you'll be filled with peace and joy. You'll be able to experience that scripture that we shared in Romans. Your life will be filled with peace and with joy. And though your world will be shaken, your soul will not be because it will be anchored. Your anchor is Jesus. And because your, life, because your hope is not in anything or anyone of this life, it is permanent. It's anchored. It's solid. It's established. So this morning, as we kind of wrap up, I want to pray that over you. As you go through your, your week and your day, if you're feeling hopeless, if you've given up hope, if you've given up that firm confidence, if you're not abounding in it, Pray that this morning to the Lord. Lay it before him that he may restore your hope, that he may renew your hope, that he restore hope. I prayed this past week for somebody who was asking for perseverance, and I, I feel like that's what the Lord wants to pray this morning for us when it comes to hope. Perseverance, because situations weren't going the way that they wanted them to. 
but they had hope in the one that they were, they were laying their request before. So I want to pray that this morning. I want to pray that as we move forward into this Thanksgiving week that we are filled with thankful hearts that we can go to the one who offers us hope. And if you have anything that you want to pray specifically about, I'll be up here after the service. There will be other elders around. I want to, I want to pray this morning for that. And you can come and we'll, we'll have specific prayer this morning for you if that's something that you have on your heart from the Lord. But for right now, um, I want to pray this blessing over you. Um, and then we will close and move forward. Um, so let us pray. Father, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for being the author of hope, a hope that anchors our soul. Father, I ask this morning for each and every person in here that we abound in hope, that we may be full of joy and peace. Father, I pray that this morning. For those that have just become hopeless or put their hope in something else or someone else, that Father, they come to you this morning confessing that and then coming to you and putting their hope as it should be only in you, restored this morning. Father, I pray that, that this be real, that this not just be something we hear in our, in, in our ears, but in our hearts, we, we respond, Lord, this morning to hope, to the hope that's in you. May we be strong, may we have strong hands. May we take that as encouragement this morning from your word, that you strengthen us. Father, I pray this in your precious name, amen. You are dismissed. Adam first service and I didn't know how to react. But thank you for welcoming me. Um, my name is Miranda Gomes. I'm the family ministry director here at Cobblestone. And if you're not aware, family ministry is a new ministry that we have created for parents and their young children here at Cobblestone. And um, the parents serve once a month, take turns serving once a month. But Really, we'd like for you parents to think of yourselves as participants in the ministry along with your children um, because we have created it for parents and children to help support and undergird the discipleship that God has commanded parents to give their children. And what we've done is we've created a little template um, that we do back there to help parents see how you can naturally and simply disciple your own children at home in the midst of your daily life. Because it is so much simpler, I think, than we make it out to be <laughs> in our heads. We think about it and we think it's very daunting when it can actually be very simple and the Bible calls it something very simple. So if you're not used to talking to your kids about the Bible, you're not used to reading the Bible to your kids, we'll help you get used to it. If your kids are not used to sitting down and listening to the scriptures, we'll help them get used to it. We're going to help you get used to praying with your families. So that's what that ministry is for, and it's happening now on second, third, and fourth Sundays every month. This is our first time doing the third Sunday, so I'm really excited for today. Um, 
And since family ministry has been going for a little while, we, we think maybe you have some questions because we know it's very different from typical children's ministry. And it may be different than anything you've ever seen before. So we want to answer your questions. For, for example, maybe you're asking, hey, why are you reading the actual scriptures to my four-year-old when she's not even paying attention? And I'll go ahead and answer that one now for free. In Ephesians 6.1, when Paul writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, he assumes that children are what? That they're sitting there listening to the scriptures being read. Or else he would say, parents, tell your children when you see them to obey you because this is right. But he doesn't. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Because he assumes that they're there and they're listening. And even if they don't look like they're paying attention, his word is alive. And it's changing them on the inside. And just being in the hearing of his word is shaping them as they grow. Okay, so if you have questions or you don't have questions, you just want to hang out, we're having a pizza party after church, December 5th, after second service. We'd like everybody to come, get your questions answered. Let's hang out and have fun together. Okay? Um, also, as most of you know, we are wrapping up our Old Testament reading plan here at Cobblestone that we've been on as a family. And starting December 1st, we have a new Advent reading plan that will take us through the month of December. You can get that plan either at the welcome desk in the atrium or on our website. And then we'll be starting a New Testament reading plan on January 3rd. You can also get that at the welcome desk or on our website. So I think it's time to um, release the children and their parents who are serving. So kids, head on back to your lines. And if you're a parent serving today, you can go back too. Thanks so much, Cobblestone. Good morning. It is uh, it's good to be here this morning, and I, I love how Miranda just dismissed the kids where she just released the kids, right? Like, you know, let them go do their thing. It is, it's amazing what God's doing in the family ministry back there, and uh, so thankful for the heart of Miranda and um, her leadership with that and being obedient to the call that God's put on her life. So... Um, this morning, uh, I, I don't think it'll be a surprise that we're going to talk about Zechariah, but before we do, every, every once in a while you have one of those weeks. How many here have had one of those weeks? I've had one of those weeks where it's just been a rough go. It's been busy, it's been hectic, a lot of long days, short nights, and everything, and, and then you kind of come just at that pace into Sunday morning and then the Lord just kind of stops you a little bit, right? Makes you pause. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the time of worship that we just had. I'm thankful for the word that the Lord's given me to share. But 
before I, I, I go into that and, and before you receive that, I feel like the Lord wants, wants me to just lead us. I know we just spent time in prayer, but just a time of just asking the Lord to, to prepare our ears, our hearts, to just calm down and just be still. Um, it weren't anything for myself. You know, you, you come up here and you just, you, you worry about, am I going to say, you know, say the right things? Am I going to deliver the word that the Lord's given me, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff? I just want to share my heart this morning. I don't want to add anything to it or subtract anything from it. That's what I want to share with you this morning. The word that the Lord's given me this week is I, I've prepared to share, you know, from Zechariah, but then in general, um, we're going to talk about this morning about hope um, and the what true hope is. Um, and, and maybe that's just something that's already resonating in your heart. You can kind of feel like getting a, a little bit um, excited that, you know, okay, Lord, you're going to talk to me about hope. Um, but before I do, um, I just want to pause. I just want to lead us in a word of prayer so that I can be still before the Lord and, and, and hear the word that he's given um, on my heart. So if you can, pray for me and pray for uh, yourself as we, as we enter in. Lord, I just want to pause. I just want to kind of breathe deep. Listen to the rainfall. Lord, thank, thank you for you, you being who you are. Thank you for taking that pressure off of me this morning that I don't need to add to or subtract from the word that you put on my heart so I can share with your people. And Lord, may they receive it. May they put distractions of this past week behind. Whatever that may be, frustrations, feeling of desperation, loneliness, whatever, Lord, that they're just, you know, their, their minds are cloudy. Lord, I just ask that you, you, you get rid of that, that you, you put your word this morning into the hearts of your people, that they respond to it. Lord, that we respond to you and the hope that's found in you and only from you. Lord, I pray that this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, uh, we are in the book of Zechariah, and we're going to start there if you want to um, already have your apps or your Bibles open to it. Uh, before we do, um, and you know, here's another hint, we're going to start in chapter 1. So you go right to the beginning, and uh, I do feel that you know, the, the Lord wants us to start um, this morning with, with hearing the message that, that Zechariah is offering to the people, to the, to the Jews that are now post-exile and they're returning and they've been tasked with uh, rebuilding the temple. So Zechariah along with, with Haggai and, and Malachi are, are the, the post-exile prophets that are, are sharing uh, the, the word that the Lord has given to them. And I want to briefly go over uh, the book as a whole and then we're going to kind of land um, after we read the beginning verses here in, in chapter 1, we're going to land in chapter 8. So um, if, if you want to be ready to move on, we do have the scripture up here as well. But um, as, I, as I shared, um, the book of Zechariah is set after the return of the exiles from Babylon to Jerusalem. And it can be split into two parts, but the overall focus of Zechariah is to offer encouragement. It's to offer encouragement for the Israelites and their governor Zerubbabel. And in chapters 1 through 8 we see that Zechariah is encouraging the people to continue the work of rebuilding the temple. And then in 9 through 14, he continues to offer encouragement and hope. 
but it's for the time after the temple was rebuilt, and he begins to point to the first and the second coming of Christ. And the first part of Zechariah that takes place, it takes place about the same time as, as the book of Haggai that we just went over last week, to kind of give you a rough idea, timing-wise, what's going on. And so we see right away here, beginning in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that the tone of Zechariah is to offer the charge to the Jewish people to not be like their ancestors. Their ancestors had not listened to the Lord, but they are to live differently. That's the word they write out of the gate that Zechariah wants to get across. So let's read verses 2 through 4 in chapter 1. It says, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. So after this tone setting, which is to say, don't pay, you know, pay attention to what they did, but don't be like them, we're entering into a different time. Then we go through the next, from the back end of one all the way through six, some, some visions that Zechariah has. And these visions are filled with some pretty wild imagery. We see everything from horsemen to horns, a woman in a basket, and women with stork-like wings flying around, flying scrolls. All these things were intended to still offer encouragement and hope to the people. Where I want to kind of land right now, and we'll, we'll focus on this, is in chapter 8, beginning in verse 3, going through 6. And I think we have that up here on the, on the slides as well. So chapter 8, verses 3 through 6, and it reads, Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Another translation on verse 6, the NLT, it reads, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people. But is it impossible for me, says the Lord of heaven's army. What confidence this truth is for the Jews that are returning from exile and honestly for us today. All of what they were facing at the time seemed completely and utterly impossible. And how many of us can relate to that feeling in some area of our life today? We're facing something that just seems impossible. Everything that they continually faced just seemed overwhelming. But yet this encouragement from the Lord comes in the form of a question. And I feel like he's, a, he's offering that question to us this morning. But is it impossible for me? We need that reminder when we feel like the work that we've been called to do or a situation that we're facing seems too big. 
How many of you can honestly recall a time, whether maybe you're in that time right now, that you just wanted to quit? You just wanted to throw in the towel, you wanted to pack it up, you wanted to head out, it was just too much. You want to walk away from it. The situation was hard. You're tired. You felt like you just had enough. You'd taken enough. You'd worked hard enough. And you were just ready to say, quite honestly, enough. I'm finished. I'm done. I'm walking away and it's just not worth it anymore. It seems that these post-exile Jewish people, they came to this similar point right now when the Lord's beginning to speak to them. And the encouragement comes at a time in which they were facing many hard, challenging things. They were growing in frustration. They had halted the work of rebuilding the temple. It become too hard of a process for them. To kind of give you a rough idea time-wise, they began to rebuild the temple in 536. And for six years, they were building till 530, and then they halted. And they paused. And the work doesn't get completed till about 516. And it's during this time that these words come from Zechariah. You see, they had labored for six years, and it was great sacrifice. To work on the temple meant that the people had to leave their own homes and their own lives, to leave them vulnerable to enemies, and to go for weeks or months to work on the temple in Jerusalem. And after years of this type of sacrifice, this grinding, this process, it seems like they're starting to get to the point where they just say, enough. And so our passage today finds that God's speaking clearly and directly to a people who may have very well felt like quitting. There was uncertainty and fear. And uncertainty and fear gives us a desire to retreat, to begin to protect ourselves and turn inward and defensive. Makes it really hard to call people to a greater vision and ask them for some deep personal sacrifice. I can only imagine how hard it would have been to have to go through that day in and day out. And to be honest, I probably would have been at that point as well. I said, enough, I wanna quit. But Zechariah was encouraging to complete the work of rebuilding the temple. If you continue on beginning in verse 7 or going through 13, and we'll read those too. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and I want you to hear this this morning because I think this is a word for us. Let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before these days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe from him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now, I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been 
a byword of cursing among the nation. O house of Judah and house of Israel, though I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. When they get back to their homeland, they begin to build the temple, they stop because it's just too difficult. But now comes the voice of God, and he speaks to the people, be strong and finish your task. Let your hands be strong. We see that in verse 9 and again in verse 13. It's God saying that I know it's hard. I know your hands are tired, literally from doing the work of lifting boulder after boulder, clearing way of rubble, laying stone after stone, hard physical labor that makes you want to quit and pack and go home. And God's saying, I understand, but I'm here to encourage you to finish it, to stick with it, to keep at it. Why? We see that in verses 14 and 15. It says, For thus say the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and I did not relent, so again I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. I imagine the people responding as I might at that time. Why should we do this? This is so hard. Why keep at it? But God gives them some reasons, and they're found in his promises. The promises can be summed up with strength in your hands because I've given you the promise to bring good. Don't look at what happened to your ancestors. I'm promising you to bring good. Keep your hands strong. This is a promise of restoration. He promises to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And this is what he's offering them that's a powerful, powerful thing so that you can continue, so they could continue the good work and we can continue the work that God's called us to do. What he offers them is hope. He offers them a confident hope. And hope is a powerful thing. He sees them growing weary and feeling that the tasks they're called to do is just too much for them. As I was preparing the message and thinking of those moments in my life where it just seemed so hard and I needed that hope instilled, I needed that confidence instilled, I actually thought back to twice in very similar situations that I was able to do that for my kids in a very kind of small practical way, but maybe it can give you an illustration of what's going on here. My two oldest kids played soccer, both Isaiah and Thea are soccer players, and there comes a certain point in time um, in your soccer season where it kind of culminates into the playoffs and the tournament, and it's like really amped up in regards to the situation. And in a couple of these instances, one with Thea, Thea's a goalie, and that's a whole different thing as a parent, to watch your kid be a goalie in a, in a, in a PK event at the end of a tournament. But as the, the moment comes in, and you can kind of see the emotions coming, you can see that she's getting nervous, the tournament, the team, everything's on the line, right? I, as a parent, found myself walking away from the, the noise of the crowd, the noise of everything, and all the commotion, and I walk myself over, and I get away from everything, and I'm about as far down on the sideline as I can get, and I can see that she's looking at me, and I look back at her, and I get low so that I can look at her in the eye even from across the field, and I just look at her, and I say, you've got this. You've done this before. 
You have confidence, have hope. You've been prepared for this. Same thing happened with Isaiah. He was on the other side of thing, not a goalie. He was the one taking the, the, the penalty kicks. And I did the same thing for him. I would get low, I would look at him, and I'd be like, you've done this before. Have hope, have confidence that if this is just the way that you've practiced, just the way you've prepared, you're able to execute now. I feel like this is what God's doing right now to the, to the people that are having a very difficult time with what they're being tasked to do. And so many times that happens in our lives and we need to do the same thing. And the promise of God is he will bend low and he will listen to us and he will respond and he will offer that same hope, that same confidence. And just as I was offering that to my kids in those moments when you know, in their small practical world, things were chaotic and things were a bit you know, too much for them. It was good to be able to lock eyes with me and say, you've got this. You can do this. And we need to do that for each other as a body. We need to do that as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's vital that we maintain relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can continue to spur each other on. Because we're all going to come into difficult situations, difficult moments, and we need others to walk alongside us. We also need to be reminded of this confident hope. The hope that's found in Christ. We need to ask ourselves the questions when things are really difficult. But is it impossible for him? That's a question that we sometimes answer and we don't allow him to. Because the answer is a resounding no. It's not impossible for him. That's confident hope. Confident hope lived out, it looks different. Confident hope has a mother continuing to pray for their child despite the fact that it isn't going the way that the mother wanted. Confident hope, that, that leads into perseverance. It puts hours of prayer for a child. Confident hope is when a mother can sit with a sick child and say, Lord, I... I believe that nothing's impossible for you. That's confident hope. I believe confident hope looks like Zechariah 10, verses 6 through 12, and I want to read those this morning. This is a different type of confident hope. It reads, I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before, though I scattered them among the nations. Yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall possess through the sea of trouble. He shall pass through the sea of trouble and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord 
and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. There's confidence in that language throughout the passage, and it's confidence that the Lord gives. Confident language like, I will, they shall, he shall. There's no wavering language there. It's declarative statements. There's confident hope that is shown through this passage based solely on the Lord's ableness and not ours. There's also a different type of hope that most of us are familiar with. And it's hope that really is nothing more than wishful thinking. And we approach hope from that type of perspective sometimes. It's quite often in our culture that it's just wishful thinking. And a phrase that I think of that occurs in my day-to-day life, Monday through Friday, as I'm a manager in a manufacturing facility, is regarding hope. It's not uncommon for us to have strategic planning meetings in which you do all the, the fun manufacturing stuff. You do you know, uh, you know, risk assessments. You do 5Y analysis. You do all this other stuff because of the fact that at the end of it, somebody will typically say, I hope that based on all this data we've gathered and all the analysis we've done, I hope that this will be the outcome or the result. And that's typically met with somebody else reiterating that hope is not a management technique. And what that means in that environment, hope is not a management technique. It means that you need to be so thorough and so analytical that you can get all the way down to where you can control and predict the outcome. You don't want to just hope that there's going to be an outcome, but you want to be able to consistently get to the level that you can predict it. And it's comfortable. You can go out there in a very calculated way. But this type of hope is just a trivial, trivialized version of hope, real hope. Because far too often we think of hope as an idea that it's just a blind desire. That we wish for something to come true. And that's what we're referring to when we say hope is not a management technique. It's not just a blind desire. It's not wishful thinking. If we manage the process well, we aren't just wishing for the outcome to become true. And so many times we treat our faith this way sometimes too. That if we manage the process well, if we fully analyze the way that things should go, and we do all the risk assessments and everything, it can become a very calculated, formulaic way of going about things. That's how we treat our faith. We use hope very flippantly. I hope I win a million dollars. I hope I have Taco Bell for lunch. Quite honestly, I hope I get a nap today. It's a great nap day. That type of hope, though, trivializes things. That's not biblical hope. That's not what we're talking about this morning. That's not what the Word instructs us for. Rather, it's just the opposite. Hope is the confident expectation that what God has promised surely will come to pass. Hebrews 10, 23. It reads, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What is our hope? It says that we are to hold on to the hope that we confess. To confess it is to say it. I think so many times in our own life we don't want to say it. But God tells us to have hope, to confess it. To literally say, yes, I have hope in him. Hope is something that we are to have as Christians. But it's not a wishful thing. 
It's a for sure thing. True hope this morning. I hope you get a better clarity of what hope is. Hope is a sure thing. Having hope means that we live today, that we're confidently assured that everything that God has promised us will come to pass. We have our hope in God that, that, that this world, we have hope that this world becomes bearable. When we have the right perspective, things of this world don't overwhelm us, but they become bearable because we have the right focus. We have the right lens that we're looking through. We have the right hope. When our hope is in God, we know that good things are in store for us. But hear me this. It doesn't mean that we won't get discouraged. We will get discouraged from time to time, but having hope, true hope, means that we will not stay discouraged, but we will rise above it. When the trials of life come and we can turn to God and trust that he is in control and that he will see us through to victory, our disposition in life will be one that is joyous. Joy comes from real hope. Peace comes from true hope. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That last three words is one that just speaks to my heart this morning. I want to live a life that's abounding in hope. Not just holding on a little and weary and tired, but abound in hope. The word abound means to exist in large numbers or amounts. I want to have hope just fill me. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that you have abounding levels of hope. Because we as Christians are called to abound in hope. We're called to have such large amounts. Why? Because of who He is. Who Christ is, we can have high levels, high amounts of hope. If I had just hoped in myself, it wouldn't be a lot of amounts. It'd be about this much amount. But greater is he that's in me. I can abound in hope. That type of hope is rooted in the character of God and our submission to it. We need to submit to God so that we can have that type of hope. And hope is always linked to faith. True hope and real faith are always rooted in the character of God. True hope, living, breathing hope, biblical hope, the hope we're talking about this morning, is always grounded in God and His ways, His promises, and trusting that God and His ways and promises, despite any circumstance that we're in, that's joy, that's peace, that's hope. But many of us this morning, just being honest, we're kind of teetering on that losing all hope. There's just some things that are just hard. And we're losing hope. Circumstances, loss, failures, suffering, you name it. It can lead us to hopelessness. Hopelessness is a bad place to be. And that's why we need to walk alongside each other and encourage each other. Because hopelessness can settle in. The enemy loves to cast hopelessness into our lives. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you pray. It doesn't matter any, it doesn't matter. 
throw in the towel, quit, give up. That's all from the enemy. But we are able to have this confident hope when we have firm faith. If we continue on in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11 is just filled with example after example of Old Testament saints who believed that God would keep his word. And we just see it. And we're going to read some of it. If you want to turn to Hebrews 11, we're going to look beginning in verse 32 here. But example after example after example of those who have had faith that God would do what he said he was going to do. That's hope. But beginning in verse 32 and reading through 38, it reads, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Of course, it's quite easy to have hope when those things are going on, right? But it turns. There's a tone change in verse 35. And it says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You see what this is telling us. Even when God doesn't work the way that we want, we see that beginning in verse 35. It's great when God works the way we want him to in the first half of it. But when God doesn't work the way we want him to work, we should still keep our faith and our hope in him. It says that some were tortured, refused release, suffered mocking and flogging, yet they kept hoping in the promises of God. So many times in our Christianity, our faith is so shallow. You see, if God gives us what we want, then we worship him. But if he doesn't come through when we want, we don't. We give our worship to whoever and whatever gives us the most. That's how shallow it can become. In our humanness, we will worship whatever and whoever gives us the most. I talked last time I was up here about Daniel and the peace that Daniel had despite his circumstances. That peace was able to come about because of his hope and his faith. We have a peace that passes all, under, surpasses all understanding when we have hope. We have an eternal hope in knowing that this world is not our end. John 14, 2, Jesus said he was going to go prepare a place. That's our hope. We have a home in glory and life beyond what this world can tell. And we need to hold on to that hope. When things of this world can become overwhelming to us, that we have to hold on to he who promised. 
because he who promised is faithful. He can be counted on fully. So what really happens when we give up hope? When we get hopeless, when we give up hope, what actually happens? We end up denying by our actions the faithfulness and the power of God. When we go into a hopeless mindset, we get, when we just lose all hope, we actually are denying the faithfulness and the power of our God. And I'll have to admit, sometimes I, I can fall into that. It's easy to give up hope when things aren't going well. And it's real easy to hope when things are going good. But where's your hope when it comes to the situation where you're losing your job? When someone you love develops cancer? When you're having financial issues? Car being repossessed? Fill in the blank. I'm not talking about small things. I'm talking about big things that can just take our legs out from underneath us. And I'm not talking about just holding on to a little bit of hope. But it's a lot easier during those moments to turn to despair and you just feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. And after time and time again of that, you lose hope. You lose confidence. You lose faith. But you see, faith isn't just a feeling. Faith doesn't just happen when things are going the way that you want them to and the circumstances around you are good. Faith is a matter of the heart. Faith is a matter of, do we keep on believing? Even when circumstances drive us to doubt. I feel like a beautiful image of this is in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. And I want to read that. I think I'll be up here. It reads, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So despite what we're experiencing, what surroundings are on, are surrounding us. If we're tired, if we're weary, if it's been a long process and we just want to throw in the towel, if maybe we've already given up, maybe we're not in the process of giving up, maybe we have given up, we should not give up on our hope in Christ. That's why in Hebrews 10, 23, it tells us that to hold fast to the confession of our hope our hope is to be unwavering. Many times our faith is filled with high points, and we love being on the high points, the mountaintop experiences. But so many times we can get into the low points as well. And we believe faithfully for a while. We believe faithfully in those mountaintop moments. But in those valleys, we turn to periods of doubt and despair. But we are to hope with full assurance of faith, not wavering at all. Because our hope is found in God who is in complete control. I love how Andrew was, was talking earlier about, you know, we're going to be up here at the end of the service just praying for maybe a situation that you've just become hopeless in. 
Pray that you feel like God's not going to move in that healing. God's not going to move in that provision. God's not going to move in, in the prayers that I've, I've laid up for that child. God's not going to move for the prayers that I've prayed up for that parent, right? When God doesn't move the way we want him to move, we can lose hope. But when we find our faith tested, God wants to bring hope. God wants you to ask for hope. He wants to instill hope in the situations of your life. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that our mind stays focused on the hope that is in Christ? Well, one we see in the scripture this morning, it's to remember well. It's through remembering of the way things were for their ancestors is not what's going on right now, nor will it be in the future. So we have to remember, because in remembering, that brings us hope. I recall the times in life in which God has provided, God has moved, He is stable, He is sovereign, He is faithful. And through that, it brings hope. Another way that we can have hope is that we go through His Word. His Word imparts hope in our hearts and in our lives. Meditate on it. Meditate on the promises of God. Over and over and over again, God will instill hope through His Word. But I'm not talking about just, you know, kind of check the box, you know, read a verse or two here and then just kind of put it away. Like, meditate on it. Let it speak to you. We just talked about how we're going into the New Testament reading plan here at the beginning of January. Let that be a way that you can jump into it. Learn the discipline of getting into the Word every day. It's going to be a nice slow process. We're taking our time through the New Testament. Learn that discipline because it will change your hope. It will change the way you think because that's the God that we serve. The Word of God will instill hope in us. As I was thinking today and earlier about, Lord, what did you want in sharing this Word with your people? I really do feel that there's, there's many in here today that have lost hope. That you're wavering on your hope. That you're already starting that free fall over of, this isn't for me. Yeah, God does that for other people. But not for me. My situation's too hard, too difficult. But it says, how much faith are we supposed to have? Mustard seed faith. That's all you need. That's all you need this morning is that faith, that small amount of faith to say, I'm not able, but I know you are. Hold on to that anchor. Hold on to that anchor. Confess it. I feel like that's the challenge that the Lord has before us this morning. Confess it. Boldly come before the Lord this morning and say, I've not had hope in this situation. I've lost hope. But Lord, I'm coming to you this morning saying, fill me back up with hope. I really do feel that. I feel like the Lord is just, that is just a struggle in our world today that we find hope in so many other things. We pursue so many other things when we get in that desperate mode of feeling hopeless. 
We put our faith in other things. We put our trust in other things. We put our hope in other things. And I feel this morning the Lord saying, come back to me. If you're wavering between hope and hopeless, if you're struggling with hope, you're losing hope, I feel the Lord hears you this morning. And he's bending low, and he's telling you the same thing in the word. Hold fast. Hold steady. Let your grip be strong. And I want to go ahead and invite the worship team to come back up as we kind of close with that thought, because I do want to give us the time to respond. If, you, if you've lost hope, if you don't have peace about a situation, if you just don't have peace in your heart, if you know that you're just you know, in your mouth saying, I hope, but it's that wishful type of hope, I'm praying this morning that the Lord speak to you and turn that into a confident hope. Change our wishful thinking into confident hope this morning. Because if your hope is in something or someone earthly, when suffering comes, you'll lose hope. Because that's not meant to fill your heart of hope. You know, we, we even as Christians, we put hope in many things. We put hope in our kids, our marriages, relationships, our career, health, achievements, money, fill in the blank. But you'll realize through life that many of those things will get stripped away. If you put your hope in your job, it gets stripped away. Put hope in money, it will get stripped away. And then where will you be? You'll be without hope. You'll be hopeless. You'll become angry. You'll become resentful. You'll just want to give up. Throw in the towel. And in vain, you'll search for something meaningful to replace your hope. But if your hope is in the resurrected Jesus, you'll be filled with peace and with joy. That same peace and joy that we just read about in Romans. That maybe your whole world is just shaken. Again, maybe you've had one of those weeks. Maybe you've had one of those months. Maybe you've had one of those years that you're just shaken. And your circumstances are just rough. If you're filled with the true hope of Christ, that though your world is shaken, your soul will not be. You may weep, it may be difficult, but you will not be without hope because that's anchor. And we prayed this past week for someone that, pray for perseverance. And that spoke to my heart because I can tell you We need to persevere, Christian. We need to not search for something and someone of this world to fill our hope. We need to persevere. We need to hold fast, hold tight to that hope that's an anchor to our soul. Persevere for your prayer. Persevere in your hope. In my life, 
time and time again. I've come to that crossroads where I can begin to go towards hopeless and giving up, stop praying for it, stop asking for it, stop petitioning for it, stop believing in it, or I can dig my heels in and say, not by my power, but by yours, I hope and I trust and I believe. And that will lead to tears, that will lead to hard times, but it's so worth it. Your anchor is Jesus. And when the storms of life seem to be stripping everything away, when the waves are just crashing all around as we talked about in the first song, you have an anchor. Because your hope is not in anything or anyone else in this life. Your hope is in Jesus, who is life, who will restore, who will move, so today I want to ask the question, where's your hope? Is your hope in yourselves? Is it in stuff? Is it in people? Is it in circumstances? Because that hope will be torn away. Only Jesus will be the anchor for you. So as we, as we wrap up, I just feel in my heart, and I have as I prepared this message, and even... I had people praying for me in between services. I feel like this is something that the Lord's moving on. Peace and hope. Joy restored. I want to pray that this morning for us. And I want to, I want to challenge you this morning that if you've just become hopeless in this situation, hopeless that God's going to speak to you and guide you and direct you, hope about Again, Andrew called it out before, hope about healing. Hope about really hard things. If you've given up hope or you started to waver in your hope, this morning, he's bending low and talking to you. The Holy Spirit is moving and he wants to restore your hope. He wants to give you that joy and I do believe that it comes in the confession of it. So this morning, come forward. We're gonna have prayer teams on either side. We're gonna close in worship. I want you to confess it this morning. I need more hope. I hope in you, I trust in you, I believe in you. So I wanna pray that and then we'll have our worship and then our prayer team will come forward. And I wanna invite you to come forward and re-up re on your hope. So Father, Father, I pray this morning, as I did when I started, that I not add, that I not subtract, but Lord, that your word just come through. The word that is intended for your people, Lord. And we live in a world nowadays that it just seems hopeless. It seems dark and dreary. It seems divided on so many things, Lord. But Lord, it's in these moments that you call us, your sons and daughters, to come forward and say, I have hope. Hope in the unwavering Jesus, the anchor of our soul. Lord, that despite our circumstances, if they're good, if they're bad, whatever, that we re-up on our hope. I want to pray this morning for the mother that just maybe starting to think that her prayers aren't being heard. They're hitting that ceiling in regards to her children. 
oh Lord, pour your hope over her. For the college students, it just feels pointless that Lord, you're not really gonna guide and direct, you're not gonna you know, watch over their relationships, you're not, they've lost hope. Instead, they're hoping in things of themselves, things of this world, things that fill their, their days, their calendars, their life. Lord, may you wash that out and have them come fully into hope in you, abounding hope. Lord, I pray that for every person in this room, that we have hope in excess. Fill our cups up, Lord. Hope that you're gonna move in this church, move in this community, move in this, and not just wishful thinking, but Lord, confidently expecting you're doing a work in and through us. Oh Lord, continue that. I pray for peace. I pray for hope restored. And I pray for trust and for joy. And I pray that we confess it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.